up internet, would a steady job be of interest to you, young buck? My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're nothing but an Okie with straight teeth. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Nightmare Alley. Had many nightmares recently? Um, enough. Enough, yeah. I mean, gestures broadly to the world. <laughs> How is... could one not? Who's sleeping soundly these days? I'm actually sleeping pretty good. I've, I've, I've taken up swimming. So, you know, that tires me out. And uh, So when the, the ice shelf falls into the ocean yeah. uh, and we're all at literal waterfront property in New York, uh, yeah. when sea levels rise, I, what is it, something like 20, 23 meters, 23? Uh, I thought it was like a, an inch. The, the sea no, level has to rise been. like an inch and we're fucked. Like Florida, Florida's nuts. We're nuts. Anyway, but no, it's good you're learning to swim. I, 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 I mean, I like I grew up on an island, so I've always been comfortable in the water. Yeah. But I've never actually swam laps before, and I started about a month ago, and I started swimming laps, and and now it's a thing I do, and it's like. I, I wonder how long this will last, but right now it's like it's just an easy routine thing to do, and I'm swimming yeah. laps, and I'm and I'm going to compete in a mini triathlon, uh, in a in about a month's time. And that the next step, I definitely do that. The next step would be a biathlon. Well, wait, wait, that's until skiing I get down and just shooting. To an athlon. Yeah, no, no. I just want to. I just the skiing and shooting part. I don't know. I always oh, like right, that's right. my favorite of the athlons. <laughs> um, so I You're always wanted to do that. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, you athlon. Uh, um, but I'm glad we got to do this movie this week. Although this is one of my most feared types of episodes, and I'll tell you why. Oh no! In a moment. Um, oh, but have what, we a, been, what a tease! We, we will. We are also gearing up towards the Oscars, and this is one of the uh, the best picture nominees. Uh, have you watched any other best picture nominees <laughs> since my last book? I I no. knew what the answer was, but I just wanted to put you on the spot for a second. Sheer, I gotta say, yeah. Uh, and it's only going to get worse. Okay. So, uh, because Elden Ring comes out <laughs> on Friday. Yeah. Is Elden Ring up for Best Picture? Uh, let me double check. Uh, yeah, double check. No, let me see. No, no, Although it's I did, not. See, I, I hear uh, Horizon uh, Forbidden Dawn. For, or, or Forbidden West. Forbidden Zero West, Dawn is the first one. Yeah. 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 Which uh, I actually just popped in for the first time the other day. The, the, the first one, not the second one. Uh, I just fell off my, I just never played it. Oh, really? It. Uh, yeah, I, I five, played it for a while. I actually played it for uh, a, a bit. But then I found the mechanics with it got over, were like complicated in a way that wasn't pleasurable huh. over time. Like, and and I think it was there was just like I never quite got over the learning hump of like how to perform and all the mechanics of everything that was happening in a way that felt kind of uh, flowy. You know, like I never quite it you never, never got quite flow flowed, but it was beautiful. It is a beautiful yeah. game. No, I uh, I'm enjoying it. I don't know if I'll you know again Elden Ring. I don't know, and that yeah. brings us back to the Oscars. I I want to and I will. So when well, you is... have to, we, it was your it was our thing. I know, and it's, I like I, gonna... I am close. I've I've only got two left to go. What it's gonna be <laughs> is I'm going to do what I did in college and what I did my entire adult life. You're and th- that actually this isn't true, but uh, what I do this sometimes. Mm. Um, you gotta wait to the last minute, and yep. then the weekend before, I'm gonna shotgun all these movies right into my eyeball. Um, and I will try to get some. I, I think the only ones that I'm gonna have, I think, trouble with are Licorice Pizza and. Um, I think that's the only one that's not. Is that, that the only one that's not streaming? I thought there was one other one. Well, uh, Drive My Car is about to start streaming, but it ha- but we've seen it anyway. Yeah. Um. No. Th- yeah. Uh, Bell. Uh, Licorice Pizza is the only one you're gonna have trouble. Because there's no streaming date set for that at this point. However, I'm guessing by the time you get to this, it'll probably be streaming. Maybe, maybe. Because yeah. um, I think, gosh, what wasn't there? I thought there was one other one. Uh, everything else is available online at this point, uh, with the with the exception of Drive My Car, which will be available on March second. Um, oh, Belfast! Belfast is available. That's Belfast the one I thought is available. Yeah, Belfast has been available for a little while. Uh, I feel like a, a double feature of Coda and Don't Look Up would work nicely. Um, um, so the only two I haven't seen this thus far are Belfast and Coda. I watched Don't Look Up over the weekend. Um, I will say I, look, you know, without giving too much away on my thoughts. Actually, don't wait. Don't do it. Okay. Don't do it. All right. Because if we're gonna do this episode where we cover all of them, let's leave some for the imagination. All right. All right. Fair um, enough. yeah. No, I'm I'm about halfway. I'm about halfway. Oh, what you? Look at yeah. you. And uh, this will be the last, most likely, the last full episode we do on the Oscar nominees, right? Do you think whatever or this no this year? <laughs> you silly goose no I mean the the it, for this run yeah well oh yeah. you mean this episode that we're doing tonight 
will be, will the, be last. the last of the 2021 movies we do a full episode on. And then we'll do and then an, we'll a, a do an episode, episode on all of them. But, you know, at this point, we're getting close to the actual Oscars as well. Should the summary episode be in conjunction with the actual Oscars? Sure. Why you not? know, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know. Look, we, there's no game plan here. We don't know what we're doing. If you, if you are an excellent scheduler and organizer of lives, we welcome you into ours. Write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Write us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, we're not Just, that organized to respond to your emails, but we should certainly invite the opportunity to work with you. Just uh, don't do it on this coming Friday. Or no, wait, don't do it on the Friday two days before... This episode came out because I will be playing Elden Ring. Okay, so don't go back in time and don't go email back in us. time. It'd be a, it'd be a real waste of time, Trav. <laughs> um, no, the reason I was terrified of not terrified the reason the why I didn't want to do this episode, but I also wanted to do it, Whoa. is that it's one of those ones where I only have like one thought on the movie. Really? Yeah, like I only yeah. have like one, one like like I, there, there's just a real clear line on this movie for me. Um, so it, it'll be a tricky one. Uh, but regardless of that, uh, we are returning to the works of Guillermo del Toro. The last one we did on this episode was, uh, on the show was the shape of water, which of course won best picture a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. And, uh, he has released Crimson Peak since then, but I have not caught up with Crimson Peak, but I we talked at Peak. length, uh, uh, about Guillermo del Toro on that shape of water episode in that, in that I, again, I think he's magnificent. I think he's a absolutely uh, wonderful filmmaker. Uh, you know, and I know people who've met him and worked with him and say he is a delightful human being. Yeah. Um, but I have had this issue, you know, not an issue, but just I've never quite fallen in love with anything he's made, despite thinking pretty much everything he's made is perfect and wonderful. And, you know, I don't have many notes or anything like that or what I don't like about them. I just, I've just never quite connected with his work. It's not your jam. Yeah, it feels like it should be. Sure, but there's a <laughs> lot of things that, that feel like they should be for people and then they yeah. just don't connect. Uh, case in point, I, other than all of the turfy nonsense, uh, should like Harry Potter. Oh, we're actually but, reading Harry Potter right now with uh, with my son, by the way. But I do not. Yeah, I not do not enjoy Potts. the books. I've, I've read the first book. I've watched all the films. I haven't ever connected with it, uh, yeah. much to uh, my loved one's hatred of me. Oh. Um, uh, I just, I, but but doesn't that seem like something that like I would be down for? Oh, right? this makes me really concerned now about this episode because I texted because I watched this the movie Nightmare Alley on a whim. And I texted you saying, I think you will dig this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was based upon the idea that you some, I think that you would like gothic horror. And and I think there's elements of Harry Potter in that sort of no. Venn diagram. So your your initial read is true. I love gothic horror. Yeah. Um, uh, if you just look at any way I dressed in my early teenage years, you could definitely see that. Right. Or, or what I could afford to make it look like gothic horror. Um, the I would argue that the reason why I didn't, now this is becoming Harry Potter, <laughs> Harry Potter. Uh, sort of slam fest, <laughs> but like the reason I don't connect with Harry Potter is it takes all of the things. I like like magic, monsters, some some horror elements and sort of that gothic evenly nature with the architecture or like whatever or the the way mm-hmm. the the world works in that. And it's the light version of all of that. Okay. Jamie just made a real uh noise from the other room <laughs> right now. But here's the thing. Uh th- they they do that I think in the Harry Potter ser- series in service of telling a specific story with their characters which I do agree is well done. Mm-hmm. I just find the world even though it is like people find it so fantastical and they have beasts and know where to find them, I find it trite and well-worn territory and like the vanilla flavor of everything I like. Hmm. So, um so that that but that's again, I understand. Yeah. I am in the minority. Um, and that's okay. That, my whole point is this. In in the discussion of why you don't uh, really uh, jive with Del Toro's stuff, it, it's not that like, but it's just, it, it feels, you're right. It feels like something you should be like, this is the best, but you're not. But here, and maybe I just want to preface it with, with this, which again, you can listen to that episode on The Shape of Water, which is that um, I also don't, there's no reason for me not to connect, which is that I think everything he does is wonderful. Like, you just gave an explanation of why you I don't guess, like Harry Potter. Yeah. I don't have a reason for why I don't. And and it's such a it's such a nuanced thing, which is that, like, 
I oh. watch his work and I go, this is amazing. I want to change I, my answer. But I just answer. never fall in love with his movies. I want to change my answer. Okay. Okay. So my version of Guillermo del Toro f- f- uh, in this situation for the media that I consume is Doctor Who. Okay. Okay. I look at Doctor Who, every episode of Doctor Who I've watched, I've liked, I have bounced off it like a friggin' rubber ball going down a cement stairwell. I cannot get into <laughs> Doctor Who, even though it checks every box I like. Right. So, But, but I would also... <laughs> we we got to get to the movie. But, no, we but do I, not. But I will say, Doctor Who is a huge... There's a huge, like runway to land I've there tried because all it's the flavors. such a long running show you can jump in at the eccleson uh arc and be fine <laughs> um uh we should i'm get... trying to relate to you shahir stop <laughs> combating me trying to relate to you <laughs> i'm i'm uh, okay we'll get to it uh but we should get jamie to talk to my son who is now reading uh, uh harry potter books and see if uh if she can convince him. he's like he's on the fence with it I, he he likes it he likes the world he likes that you know it's reading time we're actually gonna um we're getting to the end of the first book right now, so uh, that we've kind of said, okay, once we get to the end of the first book, we can uh, we can watch the first movie. Oh. Um, so maybe that kind of like does something for him. I don't know. He's not. He's like, it's. It, he, I I wouldn't say that he loves the Harry Potter universe at this point. He just likes the exercise of reading a story every, you know, a chapter every other night. Uh, kind yeah. of thing. So. Hey, ritual is important. <laughs> but uh, okay, that that long-winded preamble aside, tell us what Nightmare Ali is about. I mean, I guess the only way I could do it justice would be to read the Internet Movie Database's description of Nightmare Alley, which is as follows. An ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. You know, uh, I just watched, uh, as I mentioned, I watched Don't Look Now, which also has Kate Blanchett in a kind of somewhat femme fatale role, but like a modernist femme fatale role. Oh, don't Look Up? Yeah, and Don't Look Up. Uh, and so I, I just like, when I see her in both movies, I, my, my brain automatically shouts, Succubus! And I don't, and it's like, I don't think it's fair, but I just like, it's just the role she's playing in both these films where I, th- I think she's wonderful, but it's just like, there she is. <laughs> she fucking kicks ass in this movie. Oh, she she's is so good. Awesome. So, um, I thought you would dig it. Was I right or wrong? Oh, you were correct. I dug it. I okay. dug it. I dug it very much. Um, this man, this movie. I had no idea going into it what it was. Uh, I didn't see a trailer. I didn't see anything. I only saw the poster image of the four of them, um, sort of uh, Bradley Cooper in the back, and then Kate uh, Blanchett, Tony Collette, and uh, Rooney Mara, sort of on the poster there. And then, because I didn't know the pedigree of what this sort of movie was going to be, like, then, like, it was just, like, it was a consistent just rundown of actors that I like, Mm -hmm. just popping in, like, and it's funny, I didn't really realize it was Del Toro until, like, about 15 to 20 minutes in, I was like, wait, is this Del Toro? And I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, cool. Uh, And I don't know if Ron Perlman gave that You really stumble through this podcasting game, like, really, um, really haphazardly, right? (laughs) Listen, I do do my research after I watch the film, Shaheer. Uh, I don't go in with any preconceived notions. You should understand that, uh, you know, from your no trailer uh, lifestyle. Yeah. Side note, when we went to go see Drive My Car, Shahir had a, an adorable freak out that he didn't have his headphones when the trailers <laughs> came on. It was it was very, it was adorable. It, torture, it was, it was, torture. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, I, I, I really dug this quite a bit. Every time a new face, Willem Dafoe, uh, Mary Steinberg, uh, just like, uh, oh, and Holt McCall, uh, McCallany, who uh, I, Holt I really McCall- like, yeah, who, McCauley. who uh, was from Mindhunters uh, and who looks and acts like my father. <laughs> um, uh, just everyone was just killing it left and right in this movie. Um, the aesthetic was right up my alley. I want to say something, and I don't know how to sort of put this, but it is a praise, uh, which interestingly enough, I did not feel in the first 10 minutes. In fact, the first 10 minutes, I looked at it and I was like, wow, this looks kind of cheap. Huh. Like th- there was there was some really bad uh, compositing or, or, or green screen something in the wider shots of when he first arrives around the carnival. And hmm. I was like, like something felt weird with like movement and or scaling for a Ferris wheel or something. And I was like, my brain hiccuped for a second. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, but then that never happened again. Hmm. And I was on board for the entire thing. I think 
the thing I want to sort of praise this movie for is I know it's based off the 1947 version of the film. Well, and um, the book. And the book. Yeah. Um, but this movie is the closest thing I have seen that feels or tries to emulate the feeling of successfully one of the movies from the 1940s without, like, you know, 47 or whatever, without, like, becoming tropey about it. It gave the energy of an old film for me. Hmm. Uh, not just plot with with shot choice and pacing and the way it would hang long on certain images. Like, it, it's not to say that the camera work or anything they were doing is antiquated. Far from it. It just, like, gave me the feeling of an older film than this was. Like, hmm. if I wasn't savvy on, uh, you know... Uh, the way cameras look or the, the tech behind shooting a film, this and like if 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 I couldn't identify visual like like visual fidelity in a way, I could very easily be tricked into thinking this was an old timey film. Right. Like compared um, to like I, say David Fincher's Mank? Very much so. That's a really good that's a really good uh comparison. Mm-hmm. The, Mank looked like an old movie. This felt like an old right. movie. Okay, okay. And um, that's, I think, Del Toro just flexing some muscles about trying to emulate, uh, not not trying to emulate the, the, the visual aesthetic of something all the way, but nailing down how you get that emotional resonance of a, of a piece of media that he liked from forever ago. Hmm. Um, and I just, I got lost in it, to be perfectly honest. I, I do think the second act is where it sort of slows down. Um but I really liked how it just sort of, and then it sort of circles back uh, to more things I'm very interested in, in the third act. And actually, you know, speaking of circles, this entire movie is all circles. It circles all the way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything about it is a fucking circle. We can get into it as we sort of go, but from character arcs to visual cues to the way um, dialogue is said and then either restated or or maneuvered around in a certain way. It's just, it's all, this is one of, I feel like, his one of his most connected films. Mm. Like, I personally liked Shape of Water. I know a lot of people didn't, and, and, and people have criticized various other things, but I feel like because a lot of the time in those films, Shape of Water is the one I'm thinking of in particularly, like, it doesn't really, it, like, the movie's, like, over, but, like, all of your stuff isn't answered or fulfilled, or, like, I could see why people might get sort of, uh, be a little turned off by that. This just wraps it up in a beautiful circle at the end, a beautiful, terrible circle. Hmm. Um, and what would be more terrifying, what would be more nightmarish of an alley than one that never ended and you kept going round and round and round? Um, so I, I... I feel like this movie was true to its namesake, and I <laughs> dug the fucking hell out of it. What about you, buddy? Yeah, so again, this is one of those podcasts I hate to do because uh, I, when I watched it, I was like, no notes. This movie's perfect, and I love it. <laughs> and it was like, I was just like, no notes. Uh, got, I got nothing to say. I, I was, uh, like you, uh, enraptured with it from frame one. Um, I think the, the, the thing that... Uh, Maybe one of the things that is that is hooked me that that is that has been difficult with Del Toro for me is that he's such a great craftsperson that his work is so you know elegantly made and like with such a degree of craft and care. But I've often found I even a movie like Pan's Labyrinth, which is probably his most um, engaging in terms of stories, is one where I just didn't quite fall in love with the schematic nature of of Pan's Labyrinth. You know, like the 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 world above and mm-hmm. the world below kind of thing. Just kind of didn't quite like land for me I think that it was meant to but this was one again adapting from uh, William Lindsay Gresham's novel um, where I was actually just enraptured with the story and all of the production design all of the the sort of um, the world building that he is so good at was all in service of a really compelling story and what I love about this compelling story is that act two well probably you know uh, depending on how you sort of measure those acts there's essentially two movies going on here. (laughs) And the first one takes a lot of time to get to 
where it needs to get to in order for Act 2 to happen. And Act 2, well, the second story, is so different from Act 1, which is, you know, so, you know, if we break it down without giving away too many spoilers, the first act is the introduction to the carnival and the world of the, of essentially the world of the grift and the world of, like, how a carnival act works. Uh, and, and, you know, the making the, bound, the distinction uh, in the boundaries between um, what you can discern from someone by looking at them and what you can kind of playfully inject into their lives through both uh, an understanding of human beings, which is what um, uh, Stanton Carlyle, uh, Bradley Cooper's character, kind of has a sort of innate knack for. Uh, and then then the second story is really about him meeting the psychiatrist or psychologist uh, played by Kate Blanchett, who then unravels and spins everything that he's learned in a sort of interesting way as they tried to do an almost more elaborate grift on someone who whom they should not be uh, trying to do a grift upon. Who they should not be grifting. Who they should not be grifting at all. Um, so what I love there is that the first story is all set up for the second story, but it is compelling within itself, and it reveals a kind of logic that the film really follows through and executes beautifully by the end of the film. And I, you know, like I said, I, it's just one of those tough ones for me, which is that no notes, love it. And this was honestly, in my opinion, the moment that Guillermo del Toro's films clicked for me. And and this was the one I fell in love with and was like, oh. I get it. And I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with it. And I loved every frame of this movie. And it's so so achingly beautiful in in its sort of like you know, Del Toro is a cinephile. Uh, you know, I think he wrote a book on Hitchcock when he was a student or something like that. Uh, you know, really well-versed uh, cinephile. Mm -hmm. And there's something about his movies that are movie movies. You know, like he makes movie movies um, in, in, their, in their production design, in their execution. They're, you know, he, he, he works in the flavor of movies. Um, and uh, even that thing you're talking about in terms of circles, uh, that's a very Hitchcockian thing as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the, the Vanity Fair, um, uh, him and Bradley Cooper describing a scene they kind of go into this world of circles and, and, and it all makes perfect sense oh do they <laughs> yeah um oh. and so i i love that about his work and but this was the one where i actually really connected to the storytelling i really connected to the pacing of the storytelling i really connected to the richness of the storytelling and i really connected to the richness of the characters over time there's a moment in the, the sort of mid third act of this movie where two characters who we've only briefly met for a very short period of time <laughs> do something that is basically the result of the actions of Stanton Carlyle and the Grift. And it is haunting what they do and why they do it, but you completely understand because the storytelling journey that we have gone on has laid out the parameters for why this would happen and why it's dangerous to do it. It's so good. Yeah. Um, don't don't do the spook show. Yeah. Don't do the spook show. Never go full spook show. And don't believe the things that you are capable of. Well, so that's the thing too. So I'm also fascinated with the world of mentalists. Mm. Uh, I think it's such a fascinating uh, grift, and I think it's dangerous in any in any vocation specifically here, of course. Uh, to start getting high on your own supply, to start buying into your own hype, to be your biggest fan by the end of it. Because the second you think that you are not fallible and are always in control with something you are very good at, and, and specifically when that thing you are good at is manipulating people, you start to get blind spots. And you can totally see, I just found, I found this in, like just increasingly sort of fractally fascinating as every time I thought about something, I'd go into another thing about like, yeah, this is how cultists, like cult leaders start. This hmm. is how um, various preachers and other things go. This is how um, CEO culture has sort of like happened. Like this is, it's all this like believing, like you may be good at something. But believing that you are infallible at that thing or will always know best based around that thing will do nothing but eventually, like, make you crumble. And this movie is a really great microcosm into, like, the mentality of how a person gets to that point. Um, 
specifically, and we can get into spoilers a little bit at this point, I think. Yeah, yeah, we should um, we should jump into spoilers, but you know, regardless, go see the movie. It's, it's yeah, oh, of course, amazing. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, the thing I really liked about this was, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper, mysterious dark past. You don't quite know what's going on. He tosses a body into a hole and lights it on fire in a house and then makes that whole house go on fire, which at first in my notes I was like, they better explain why he broke the floorboards open and put a body in the hole only to burn the house down. (laughs) I was like, that's a lot of extra work. Um, (laughs) But um, I don't think they ever did. I just think they liked the image Um, and uh, basically sort of runs away from whatever that was. You think he might be on the run. He joins the carnival and he's kind of just being like a a hired hand at a certain point, like muscle or putting, picking up or putting down tents. And uh, as he gets more ingrained, he uh, befriends sort of many people at the carnival, but uh, David Stratha, uh, Stratharn, Stratharn. Strathane, wow, oh, I can't Such a great that. actor. So yeah. you know, we, we last saw him in Nomadland, and like Strathane, you know, like had this sort of like, uh, maybe the most famously he was in Good Night and Good Luck, and he is like devilishly handsome, and now he's aged into like a great older man as well, you know, like yeah. I, just, I love seeing him on screen. So he's a mentalist that has kind of been on at least part of the journey that we're about to go down, I think, just mm. not the entire way mm-hmm. um, that, that, that that stands, Bradley Cooper's stand's going to go down. And uh, he is uh, addicted to alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and he is not, he basically gives, he like slowly kind of teaches Stan a little bit about mentalism, but he, he, he says to him specifically to not like, not believe like when you start to like he doesn't do his show anymore because he started to believe in his own shit like uh, he, he and um uh uh uh, uh tony Collette's character have yep. this thing which is that they sh- uh which is that you should you should you shouldn't lead someone on. You shouldn't, you know, don't run a spook show is, is the line. And and I think yeah, his like thing they, is, they've given people their money back after yeah, a show and explained to them something so that they didn't go home thinking that yeah, they're exactly. one. So it, yeah, which I, they've which saved I, the performance. They've saved the experience for the other people at like the hundred people at this yeah. crowd in the carnival, but they'll find that person at the end and be like, Hey, oh, here's your money back. It, this well, is what this is. Well, no, because that person comes to like in in the case of uh it, when David Strathane does it and and when Zena does it, uh, the the woman comes to her to ask for more information because she believes yeah. this to be ultimately true. And their approach is then you have to let them, you know, you have to let them off the hook because yeah. if you don't, you will create more chaos in this person's life. He does. No, uh, uh, Strathane uh, does does bring up there is that moment but he does say something along the lines of like he doesn't like doing his show anymore because he even started like there was like he he saw the edge of where he was going with it and he didn't like it yeah there's something in there too with that because i remember that specifically because i was like oh this is where bradley cooper's going (laughs) well (laughs) Um, and and cooper uh, and and uh, uh stanley's character stan's character is is mesmerized by what happens here because he he reads he he believes David Strathairn's character kind of reads him perfectly, right? Yeah. He says, "You, you hated. There's hate in your life. This watch means this. Your, you know, it's usually related to your father." And he and and Stanley believes that this is like 100 percent accurate because it is. But you know, like what Strathairn says is like, "Look, this is you know, you can you can boil any human being down to about five or six different stories, and if you just you know guess in the right direction yeah. for the right demographic, you're bound to hit it." Um, which I think is kind of amazing as well. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the moment that this movie like catapulted right into like, oh man, uh, this is like, wow, is the moment when the cops come to the carnival. Yeah. And, and uh, Stan just talks his way out and mentalists the hell out of the <laughs> police chief. Yeah. And gets them all like it basically saves the day. Yeah. And that's the first time you see in this movie where he feels like and is perceived as a hero. Mm. Like even before when um when the car- when the when the carnival master played by Willem Dafoe, who is so fucking good in this too, yeah. as he is in every damn thing, uh, when the geek gets out 
uh, which is basically a person who he admits to slowly hooking on uh, opioids through well, alcohol yeah. Yeah. and then slowly but surely driving them sort of crazy enough to continue to be a geek, which is basically like a beast man that like rips chickens in half with their teeth, yada, yada, yada. Um uh, when he when he in, when Stan has to help like catch the geek as when the geek ran away, um, uh, the that moment like he wasn't heroic. He was sort of on old habits. He was like coldly hitting him with a stick when he got hit. Like that wasn't like a hero moment. That was doing a job. Here he now saved the carnival and all of the people and his love interest uh, in the process. Rooney Mara. Um, so I don't know. That to me was like the moment where you see that moment in a movie for a character to go through and you can a hundred percent see the whole, like, yeah, you'd feel like a million bucks. Holy shit. What else would you do to keep getting that feeling? Hmm. Um, and I, I just sort of, I latched onto that quite a bit, um, and I was curious. I knew he'd go full quote spook show. Uh, mm. I just didn't quite know uh, how and why he would. Yeah, the details uh, of, of of like how Kate Blanchett's character enters his life again is done with such a richness to it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not. It, there's you you you're never going. Okay, this is how the structure of this film is going to play out. Even though, like a lot of Del Toro's movies, it's really schematic. Um, it, it also is rich and nuanced and with a full sort of tapestry of emotions going on that are conflicting and weird and interesting. And, and, and again, like you say, performed by really, really good actors who are like relishing the chance to, to kind of, um, you know, show the kind of interesting contradictions in a kind of, um, you know, uh, both uh, what's cool about del toro in this for me again uh, what clicks is he such a genre filmmaker he's such yeah. a filmmaker that's like bound by i mean the... this dude did pacific rib yeah like... yeah he's bound by like such a clear understanding of of not just genre but also like heightened genre films yeah and and this is one that is also intimately human um, with every character having like a real depth to them that I really, I really responded to. Uh, I will say there are there are a couple of things that did make me laugh, which is William Defoe with his all, uh, <laughs> and this is where I keep me poison right next to my drinking alcohol. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a moment where I was just like, oh well, okay, I see where this is going. I was also kind of like, there is a thing about Bradley Cooper, um, which is that. I, I don't this is not a roadblock to the film, but there is a there is a sense that when he's being brought into the carnival to begin with, everyone's kind of like treating him like young buck kind of thing. And I'm like, that's a forty year old man, dude. Like that's a <laughs> that's a grown ass man you're talking to, you know? Are you like, talking about Tom wrinkly... Holland in Uncharted? Yeah, I, I we should talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I was like <laughs> everyone was kinda like and and like I could see maybe with a different actor like it is not a roadblock at all because I think Cooper is so good in this film. But it is like there's a sense that you could do you know, like you would age the actor through this performance a little bit, and well, he did. It, she here, he had a mustache at a certain point, <laughs> and and you know, like it's just again when they call him Young Buck, I was like, that dude. This is 1947, and that dude is 40 years old, like over 40 <laughs> years old. He is like a grandparent in this movie. Um, but I, I I love that richness of it, and I think and the, the thing that's so good is that the movie, um, it never falls into uh, an escalation of stakes which is what you would expect in the genre film, like in terms of like an escalation of stakes that are, okay, now we're going to have a chase scene and now we're going to do, you know, a gunfight and now we're going to do this. The escalation of stakes is always at the, always at the behest of characters revealing really interesting pieces of information about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's all character driven. And I, I love like, you don't quite know exactly what um what it is that um uh what is the character's name uh, the Grindel Richard Jenkins character yep. you don't know exactly what he's done and what he's capable of but you do know that it's monstrous in some way well his and, name's Grendel yeah he's uh the Beowulf character right yeah Grindel. like yeah, yeah. like or it's really it's Grindel it's Grindel, it's Ezra Grindel. Grindel, Grindel but Grindel had a hearing impediment right 
Well, Grendel is Grendel is a is a beast, yeah. uh, and, and like I was just like, oh, this this name is not lost on me, even <laughs> if it's off by a t- couple letters. Yeah, yeah, but you know, like I love that he's he's he, you know, um, he says I will, you know, like he basically brings Bradley Cooper's character into his world and like puts him under a rigorous, you know, like uh, a lie detector test, and then still falls for the grift. So he's a man that is capable, that is dangerous, but also able to be manipulated and willing to be manipulated um and and then we kind of like when 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 starling uh stan kind of decides that we're gonna like basically try to do the carny grift here which is have rooney mara dress as his ex-wife and just walk in <laughs> and ha- hope that the man does a conviction uh confession you know like you kind of go well, I, I get what you're trying to do, and like that is the that you know I get that that is the grift, but this is not the man you want to do this grift to. Or if you're gonna, you're gonna need to put some real time and effort into like the mechanics of the grift here so that it works. And when he just like kind of like lets her walk out, I'm like, oh boy, this is not gonna go well for you. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, it's yeah, it's like the equivalent of like inviting the carnival audience up on stage to see the glass floor where they, where she where Zelda's yeah. or Zara's or Xena, excuse me, is getting clues. But uh, but you know, Z he's he, he's also he's he's also he, drunk at that point. Uh he's a little bit drunk at that point and he's also stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like he's he's like, I gotta get out of this and my you know and, and Rooney Myers character is gonna is about to leave me. I'm just gonna have to do the bare minimum here in order to make this work and hope that it works. And he kinda gets away with it by murdering both of them. Uh and then and then realizes that there is a, a third layer to this grift. Which again, I like my impression is that Grindel had something to do with Blanchett's scars. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I was like, it's, but it's not made explicitly clear. No, but it's because you could also read it as uh, Blanchett's character is also just like, up, not upset, but also believes that she's better than Stanley. You know, like in terms of like what you know, like in terms of the tit at of like being one one to one on with someone who can read another person. Oh, she did. Yeah. She yeah. totally did. They both believed that they were better than the other one, which yeah, yeah. was very, very. It was just such a, a delicious sort of thing to watch go through. Yeah, it was like it was like uh um uh what is the con man movie um with uh, Steve Martin and Michael Caine that I'm trying to think of here, uh, Dirty Run Scoundrels, you know, with like, <laughs> with like con men just kind of like going against each other and like one-upping each other at every turn. Uh, it's so good. It's so, it's just... I, also, she felt, she felt to me, um, she felt Dr. Lilith Ritter. Yeah. Lilith is the best name for a character like this. Uh, the, um, the, it felt like her office just felt very Andrew Ryan and felt very Bioshock. Yeah. And yeah. I was just I, like, I, oh. I, the, okay, so the, the real underlying reason why I thought you would dig this movie is I just got a lot of Bioshock vibes from oh, it. Oh, 100%. And, and I was like, look, Gore Verbinski, I think, has been working on, was working on a, a Bioshock film for a long time, and I think it fell through, and the rights have like now reverted, and they are, they are working on a Bioshock adaptation, maybe a, a Bioshock TV, TV show. show. Yeah. Um, but I was like watching this guy. As much as I, I don't want Del Toro to do a Bioshock movie, I was like, man, Del Toro would really slam a Bioshock I mean, movie. Here's the thing about Del Toro. He's not going to get lost in that. Like, I, I understand why you don't want him to do something like that. Like, yeah. I, like you've said this many times, how you don't want, like, successful directors who are making interesting films to be locked into, like, some adaptation genre, you know, whatever. I mean, this is an adaptation, but it's just, like, you want them to, like, have no, no, the no. scope to, like, of course. Of bring course. themselves to it, you know? Right. And he uh, might I, have that scope now anyway. I feel so like he, if I was to think of any person to do a Bioshock movie, it would yeah. be him. Like, there's yeah. no question, especially after seeing this movie. I mean... I'm still uh, all for Gore Verbinski doing a Bioshock movie, by the way. Like, I, I still mean, think that would be great. Sure, but like I, I don't know. I don't think it would have the same. Fe- it wouldn't. It wouldn't feel not only like something new, but also correct in its in its like presentation or its shoes, as I think uh, Del Toro version of it. Would be. No, but that's I, 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 I haven't seen um, uh, a Place for Wellness yet, or uh, what was that Verbinski film, A Cure for Wellness? But I, yeah. I hear it had a lot of the the uh, the Bioshocks. Yeah. Um, so um, this this in particular, the way that they handle uh, uh, L- Dr. Lilith is so just, I don't know, Kate Blanchett is the fucking best. She literally steals every scene she's in, um, and they're sort of, you know, we won't get into too much of the specifics of the sort of how it all shakes out, but like, feels so fucking natural. Hmm. 
um, that, you know, while we don't, like, you know, there are many characters this movie sort of leaves behind, mm. I will say. We don't really, and we and not every film has to do this, of course, because, again, I think, this is another thing. I, uh, I feel like um, th- another aspect of this sort of, like, feeling a bit like an old-timey plot, because the, structurally it is, mm. um, is, like, we are following this man. This is this main character guy is who we are following. And people will come and go into his life, but it's 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 his journey we are experiencing. And like there's certain things like in like 40 late 40s, early 50s movies where like a man and a woman fall in love, but you don't really know why. They're just like there and they like each other and they're in love. Like, right? Like, and then the well, plot I, I, moves on. But like, I, I'm I not saying every also- movie. This is following I, the tropes of the of the film noir of the 1940s, which I know, the original that's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, with the femme fatale, with also what I think is great about the film noir and, and, and how well that Del Toro executes it here is that, that, that at the center of it is the conflicted man. And he's not the mar- he, he he has interesting moral um, uh, moral boundaries, but he's also not above going beyond those boundaries, as we kind of see in that in that first scene where he approaches the geek and says, look, everyone's looking for you, but I'm not going to hurt you because you've never done anything to me. And then. You know, when he gets hit, he beats the shit out of him. You know, yeah. like he's he's he is capable, dangerous, but also has a morality to him, which I think is just such a, a great trope of the film noir leading man. Yeah, and and there's there's a realness to that. No one is a stoic bastion of whatever ideology they will believe. There's always a shifting point. That shifting point may vary, like, yeah. but that's how humans work. And so his main character felt like a human. Um, and it's so funny how many main characters in other films sometimes don't, which again, that can be fun. Like, but here it was such a wonderful sort of just character study into what makes this man tick and why he does the things he does and the full circle of it all. Right. Like, I mean, I thought when, when he, when he, when he's talking to the geek or he was getting him back in the cage, I forget if it's when he gave him the cigarette or if it's, um, when he was chasing it, when he was sort of catching him. When he was down, I think the geek was mumbling something like, this isn't like, this isn't me or I don't look like, it was some like thing about like identity. Yeah. Um, And that was sort of my first clue that like the journey that we would be going on would probably come full circle and end in the same sort of place. Yeah. Uh, And it was funny because as the movie ticked by, I didn't know like where that end point or where the the joining point of the circle would be. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know if it would be like, like case in point, when after the, the throwdown between uh, Lilith and Stan, he runs from the cops um, and he boards the train and gets behind the chickens. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, oh, this is the this yeah. is where the circle is complete. Yeah. And then when he goes to the uh, the 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 drifter sort of camp. And has to trade his watch. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is where the circle is. It's the watch. The watch was important before. And then when he finds the new carnival and talks to the other carnival <laughs> Tim master. Tim Nelson. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, and just like, you know it's happening. You know what's going on because of uh, what Clem, what Willem Dafoe's yeah. character sort of d- told him about how this works. And then how he just, like, it's not like Bradley Cooper, like, Stan is confused by this. No, he understands he, what's happening. He realized it, and then he's like, you know what? Yup. <laughs> like, is, he says, you know, I was made for this, you know, like, because I think at that point he's also, he he's given up, he has succumbed to the addiction for one, and he's willing to make the trade-off to be in a safe place again. Yep. Because it makes sense to him. I also love a little detail in that scene, which is what you know, in terms of Del Toro's fascination with monsters and his fascination with um, oh yeah outsiders is the is the is the fetus that uh, you know like that that has been throughout has the entire a name film. too. It's a biblical uh, Edith name, Edith or Elith or something e- like that. Elith, uh, yeah. and what I like there is that um, you know uh, Tim Blake Nelson's Enoch. character. Uh, it's what Enoch. was it? Enoch, I believe. Enoch, yeah, you know, kind of says, oh, yeah, I, I got this from the, the person who used to run this carnival before me, as well as the radio, which is obviously, you know, Stan, um, Stan's radio uh, from before, which he sold for five bucks. Um, but, you know, like, he 
Stan repeats the story and Tim Blake's Nelson's character goes, oh yeah, that would be a really great angle for this. And I love that this idea is that is that there are these mythologies that these characters are building, but they all are self-perpetuating and and also made up. You know, like, we we don't know if Clem made that story up or if someone told him that story randomly or this thing is just, a you know, like a random um, trinket that, that, that means nothing. But, you know, Del Toro, you know, takes the image of the third eye, you know, the symbolic third eye that this character has or that this, this um, symbol has... Yeah. And and really runs with it in terms of like there is an overseeing watchful eye to the story that that connects us from the beginning to the end. And like, you know, and I think when Stan sees that, you know, that that repeated thing come back into his life and, it, you know, he remembers the story of how it tore apart its mother uh, and lived for a little bit and then died. Uh, you know, like I think he just kind of accepts this is not just my life, but it is the nature of the world as it exists. You know, like mm. he thought for a moment that he could be better than this. But I, I love actually when he's talking to Kate Blanchett, Kate uh, Blanchett's character about uh, the the distinction between what she does and what he does. Is he says, "Look, I know it's a grift. You know, like I know this is all bullshit, and I and I know that I'm making this all up." You know, like you seem to think that this is real and what you do is important, but I know that this is all a grift. We do, we we do exactly the same thing. And he's kind of like, you know, he's balancing that that sort of like the the thing about the spook show as well, which is that I know that I shouldn't be indulging in this, but it is nice to give someone hope. And he what he doesn't see is what that hope does to the you know to the judge and Mary Steinberg's character. Well, the hope giving at that point in my opinion for the character is an excuse. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, he's buying into the grift. Yeah, he's he's getting high in his own supply. He's like, and, "Oh, and well, this and is okay because it's helping people. Look how much it's helping people." But he's also like, he's also monetarily benefiting from it, you know? Like Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's in, the point. In the book, uh, I think there's a there's a part of the book where he kind of like as you were mentioning the sort of uh, evolution of cultist leaders, there's a part of the book which is like evolves that idea to that he has a following by the time we get to him in the in the hotel room. Oh, uh, you know, like people are following him and he has like um uh, 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 a sort of people who believe him and he's already kind of indulged in that sense of people who believe him, but now he's invited into the upper echelons of society uh, yeah. to in order to do the same to, to run the same grift. Um and he's so you know like he Cooper's performance is so good because he's a man who kind of understands that there is a grift, but knows how to play it so well. And right. you know, like especially in the scene, it's layered. Yeah, well, in the scene with the um, with the uh, with the lie detector test, he knows he's failing the lie detector test, but then he knows how to like swindle his way out of the lie detector test. It's so it's just again uh, such again no notes. Even, even even though, like, I feel like uh, Rooney Mara's character of Molly gets a little bit of the short end of the stick when it comes to sort of, like, time. But, again, it's not yeah. her story. It's not um, her story. And she and I think she gets away clean, you know? Yeah. Well, like, um, the the element I really liked is when, I forget at what point, when they were talking about not doing spook shows, like, we should walk away or whatever, she goes back to. Because her, her whole carnival gimmick yeah. was that she could take electric current in yeah. her body. Like, yeah. she was this, you know, whatever. Um, and she talks about the first time she did it, her muscles seized up and whatever and all that. But she always knew, like, the reason why she could do it is she knew when she what she physically knew when her body had had enough and would yeah. signal for that. And I've and, had enough. And, yeah. And that is what she was trying to, like, in sort of, you know, put out to him being like, hey, all of this is fine, but you need to know your limit. Yeah. And he didn't really want to believe he had limits it, um, it, it it oddly reminded me of the the prestige with the two characters yeah. in the prestige oh, yeah. where where um hugh jackman's character believes that magic is at play and again big spoiler for the prestige but christian bale's character is actually just doing the work you know like he is he is living the 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 lie that is required for him to to have a double um, yeah. and, and, you know, Hugh Jackman's character just fundamentally believes that there is magic at play here. Um, and, and, you know, it's, and like at some point Christian Bale's character, well, I can't remember how it, it, it unfolds, but it's, it's, it's oddly reminiscent of Rooney Mara's character here, which is saying like, no, I actually just did the work, you know, like I was, yeah. there, there's, yes, there is a trick to it, but also I have to train my body in order to survive this thing. And that's, you know, like the work. Um, and, and he kind of sidesteps that and then also like 
you know, falls prey to the alcohol as well. And again, I th- there's such a strong interplay between what Kate Blanchett draws out of him, which is like he says he's never going to drink. And, you know, she draws out of him. She, you keep saying that word never. We're really going to have to work on that. And yeah. he breaks that word never. Um, and I, I Well, she uses know, her tricks on on him like he tries to use his tricks on her. Like, yeah. it's just a different side of that coin. And we don't know exactly what the haunted past was to him as well. Like, we don't know what his father did to him. I think it was, there was, there was uh, uh, allusion, allusions to, um, abuse. Yeah, allusions to abusive father. And, you know, at one point he kind of like, um, he takes the, 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 the power back by, by simply exposing his father to the elements mm-hmm. and then taking his watch. And, and, um, I think, you know, again, that that is such a, we don't know what's, what's compelling about this is that we don't know exactly what the details are, but we can kind of ascertain what they might be in order to, in order for the story to make sense to us. I well, even to, sorry, even to, to the service of that idea, I think that sort of goes down the track of mentalism in general. We mm. don't know what the specifics are, but yeah. because people overall are quite simple, we can put it down to sort of those like, overarching themes and feel like we understand an individual despite not knowing the actual details yeah. like it's all fucking connected it's it's all there on you know like there for us and again it's such a rich soup for us to to kind of enjoy i, I will i have a funny story which is that someone i know uh what and they didn't want me to tell the, like say who they were on the bias, but they had they watched the movie in two parts and they because they, you know, they 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 got tired in the first night, but they were like, "Oh, this is great! I'm gonna watch the rest of this tomorrow night." And so they watched it the second night, and then we were, I was talking to them, and they were like, "Oh, and so you know, like at the end, you know, he goes back to the carnival, and it's you know, it, it's a the circle of life." And I was like, "That that's not quite what happens," because <laughs> they, they were like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Well, he was being drawn into the world of the geek." And she was like, "What the geek?" And I was like, "Yeah, you know the thing, the creature, the the, the character that at the beginning that had to bite the." And they're like, "Oh!" And like <laughs> the the whole movie kind of unravels for them because at the end they were just like, "Well, you know, like yeah, it was just uh, you know he goes back to the carnival. He's you yeah. know, life goes on." And I was like, "That on. is such a you know like if you just miss that detail or if you watch it in two parts, you." There's the, the, the circle is broken so effortlessly. Yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah, I, I like, like that. Yeah, it was just like a happy ending for this person. Yeah, you know, it's great. <laughs> he's, he's, he's made for this. Yeah. This is what it is. <laughs> this glorious life he's yeah. putting forward. I know, uh, he's going to go back into it. <laughs> I do feel like the beginning of this movie does have the the, the minorest of missteps. Like, I, structurally, I didn't understand. Like, he gets hired first and foremost. I'm trying to think of some negatives here. Yeah. Um and this is these are by far no means to tarnish anything this whole thing is 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 exquisite and you should watch it but when when he's hired and he's doing the odd jobs and they're breaking down the tent during the storm and then they're like we're going to meet up with a new carnival and they're like they go to the new carnival like there were things that didn't quite make sense namely the geek pit like the geek pit was the exact same geek pit as the other carnival and you need to dig a big hole to make that work. <laughs> yeah. And like, it was just like, I, I, there was little moments where I was like, that doesn't make sense. Or when him and Molly leave, mm. like they just get like a truck and a bunch of shit. And I'm like, whose stuff is that? It's not his. Like, is Molly owner whole fucking thing in a truck? I'm like, that's weird. Like, I thought they'd have to like escape the carnival, but they just like drove off with a bunch yeah. of shit. Like, I yeah, I, I think the geek is the only one who has to escape. Yeah. Uh, like, everyone else is kind of like, you know, part of the traveling troops of the carnival, right? But then by the time you get past, I mean, I, I just, I was awash in, in this world and didn't care at I, all I'm about sh- any of those gripes. I'm struggling to remember, you mentioned at the beginning the the sort of, uh, you didn't, there was green screen you didn't like. Honestly, as a VFX person, I, I there was nothing when, in the beginning that I when saw. When he that- was walking through the carnival for the first time, there was a, a, a mid shot of him that transitioned, I think, to a wide, where there was something about the compositing that felt off like all the colors were right and all that stuff but like i don't know if it was scale based on where he was standing versus where the ferris wheel might be or like there oh and there was definitely like the ferris wheel i think was shot practically but composited into this thing 
Right. Or or maybe it wasn't, but like the carts and the people on the Ferris wheel, I could see the blur line around it, and I was just like, oof. I was like, is this the color grading? Is this what is this? Oh, um, I'd be curious to go back and watch it because I, 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 and as also my understanding of the production is that they built a lot of this practically. They did, and, and that 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 felt like it was a composite of a lot of the things they built put into right. it one shot. Right. Um, so. Now, that's why I don't think the, the Ferris wheel was CG, because I don't know why the lines would look the way that they did if they didn't composite it in. Like, if it was just a digital element put in instead, instead of two I'll different I'll have shots. to take a look at it, because I, I, I don't record... Like, nothing jumped out at me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is also joining the long lines of movies that are, are releasing black and white cuts. And there is a oh. black and white edit of this movie that is coming out. And, it, and with all the movies that have black and white cuts, you know, like, namely Logan, Mad Max Fury Road, um, The Mist... Uh, I always go, well, actually, in the case of The Mist, I will say, <laughs> in the case of The Mist, I was like, yeah, the black and white actually does make this work. And Del Toro himself has gone on record and said that the that 90% of the movie works magnificently better in black and white than it does in color. And I was like, and there's a part of me that goes, man, the color is so good, though. Like, yeah. like you know, like, I would struggle to kind of see, uh, but here's the thing, I would be interested to see what his take on the version is. And I like that there is this other version. And, you know, like with people converting films from black and white to color, Del Toro is an artist who really understands color grading. So I'm like, I would actually be interested in seeing what his black and white version of this yeah. looks like. Because, but ultimately, I really liked the color on this. You know, I like I thought it actually looked, it looked gorgeous. And like what I liked about it was that the carnival was so gross looking. You yeah. Know? Like, like it was just really sickly looking and it didn't I, like there wasn't a world where i thought anyone was going to this carnival and thinking it was a good time like maybe unless you hadn't been to a carnival before yeah. but there wasn't like that shiny veneer to it it all felt like these are shitty old props that have been around forever that creak that are like in the rain that suck and you don't want to be around them yeah. and and i just think he captured that so well um, with the with the way that this thing is lit and um, and and graded and the visual effects, uh, uh, the DP was a uh, Dan Lutz. Uh, Dan <laughs> Dan Lutz. It's Dan Lutz. Yeah, it was oh, Dan friend Lutz. of the show, Dan Lutz. Yeah, Actually, old go. friend from MTV, Dan Lutz. Uh, no, no, it wasn't Dan Lutz. It was Dan. Uh, let me bring, let me bring it up. It was uh, Dan Lawston. <laughs> Very close. Uh, Silver who's worked with Del Toro before. Um, yeah, I I. I... I'd be interested from a clinical standpoint of watching uh, a black and white cut, but I, I, I think this movie accomplishes the feeling of like what I guess what's the point of the black and white cut? Like if not like this is an old movie, so we're gonna make it an old movie. Like I, I think it, it is just uh, you know to directly bring it back to the nineteen forties yeah. noir. I, and I don't know. Sure, I, and and it yeah. maybe in your you know like when you talked about the the comparison between Fincher's Mank and this. I think maybe it'll kind of draw it closer into that. Yeah. You know, like, and, I, and and Fincher's approach there was like, I want to make the film feel like it actually was made in that period and like sat in a vault next to the Citizen Kane. Um, and so, you know, like whether that, again, I would be interested to see it, but, you know, for the color version, no, no, it's Del Toro. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. <laughs> no, great film. Please go see it. I don't even think we need more final thoughts than that. I think <laughs> this movie just sings. I, to be honest... Looking at the nominees, let's is, see. Is he your favorite at this point? It might be. Mm. I mean, it's either that or Dune. Mm. But Dune, while I love Dune, mm. it's still only half of the story. That's my like, that's my whole thing with Dune being nominated for Best Picture. I'm like, it's half a movie, bro. You like, know, what's, like, is, like, is Dune? What's it, it, what are they going to call the second one? Do we know yet? It's not going to be Dune Part Two, Dune? yeah. D the Duneist, the Dunist. Um, anyway. Dune, where's my car? I don't Dune, know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I would watch the hell out of that. Uh, no, this movie's great, uh, and you should go see it. Yeah. And, and, no and, notes. And I, no, no notes. Apparently, on yeah. on uh, this being the only podcast about the film Nightmare Alley, Shahir, when you young buck yeah, are yeah. looking for work around these parts. Where can folks find you? Hang on, let me just wander up to the frame here. Yep, definitely young. Uh, you can find me and all my youth at my website at www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are um, finding the truth of a human being through the obvious tells that they are putting out to the world, 
Where can people find you? You can find me uh, gleaning your entire lifestyle through invading your Elden Ring game over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN or, of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Of course, Zoe's telling you all those secrets right now, huh, bud? Yeah, meows indeed. Uh, also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this airs, we will be, well, we'll have aired our uh, So You Haven't Read episode on Long Way Down, mm -hmm. uh, which is a phenomenal uh, novel or graphic novel, depending on how you want to look at it. And then uh, we'll be finishing up our Empire of Brazil series that will have released one day uh, prior to this being out. Nice. So please check out all that goodness. And then the following Wednesday, the Wednesday after you're listening to this, we're doing an episode on time loop video games oh, and yeah. why gaming is the absolute best possible way to tell a time loop narrative. You're talking about um, some Prince of Persia, got some Death Loop in there. Oh, you got a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah. check all that good content out. Also, hey, you, thanks for sticking around to the end of the episode. Email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you thought uh, Nightmare Alley was. Let us know your picks for the Oscars. Let us know what system you'll be playing Elden Ring on. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's my Criterion Corner now. It's just like, and this week in well, Elden what is your, Ring. So is, Elden Ring's not your video game. It is Bioshock, right? That, Bioshock would be the the uh, For what? the video game tie into this movie. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No no question. No, no, no. Yeah, no, 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 no notes on that uh, no opinion. Notes on that. <laughs> no notes. Uh, next week, we will not do an Oscar movie. <laughs> ah, I was going to say, we should do our best. Um, you know what? I think we can. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold us to this now, but I think we're at a point we could possibly do our best of the year. I think. <laughs> Listen, you're the, you're the arbiter of these fake rules. So I just go with what you say at this point. Yeah. We're doing it. It's right. happening. <laughs> next week? Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you fuck. All right. We'll talk maybe. to y'all sure, later. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Bye. Bye.